from Las Vegas. You're listening to Verve Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. Have you ever had a bad experience, maybe like at a restaurant or a car rental place or mechanic or a hotel? So I had some time off this summer and one of my goals was to go visit my sister's family in Maryland. Uh, My niece has leukemia, Uh, they're hurting. I wanted to give them some encouragement. So I scheduled a trip, but then my wife got COVID so I couldn't go. We couldn't risk me bringing COVID to my sick niece. Well, my wife recovered and I was about to go to Atlanta to spend a few days with a church there, but I had a, a couple days before I had to be there. So I called my sister and asked, hey, could I come now? And she's like, yeah, please come. So I booked a ticket. Uh, I had to fly to Baltimore, but I had a layover in Atlanta. I get on the plane, land in Atlanta, and there's a text waiting for me from my sister. My niece had a fever. They had to rush her to the hospital because of her leukemia. The doctor said she had to stay in the hospital for a couple of days. My sister says, I'm so sorry, you can't come. I'm like, crap, I I wanted to go, and now I'm stranded in Atlanta. I mean, I I could fly home, but I had to be back in Atlanta in two days. And so since I was already in Atlanta, I figured maybe I'll just stay here. So what I need is a hotel room. Got a hotel. It wasn't what I was hoping. Uh, In that hotel room, there were cockroaches running around the room, Honestly, I don't know if there were cockroaches or just one cockroach who kept making multiple appearances. Uh, The hotel had a free breakfast, so I went down the next morning. No thank you. It it was gross, and I don't have high standards. Like, my favorite places to eat in Las Vegas are a taco truck on a side road off of Decatur and the hot dog cart at the South Point Casino, for real. But this food... It was bad looking. Worse, there was garbage on every single table in the breakfast area, and there was a mountain of garbage stacked on the trash can. I'm like, no wonder this is the hotel cockroaches choose to stay at. Now, I, uh, to be proper, I am not going to tell you the name of the hotel chain. That would be wrong. Clarion. And I won't tell you the name of the person who chose the hotel for me, made the reservation for me, uh, Jennifer, the Jennifer I'm married to. I won't tell you her name, but, but I decided I am not staying, at least I'm not staying at that specific hotel, whatever its name was, Clarion Point Atlanta Airport Hotel, ever again. And I may never say that brand of hotel ever again. Have you ever had a bad experience at a church? Maybe you were hurting, uh, you were looking for some encouragement. You thought, maybe I'll try church. Maybe, maybe what I need is God. And so you went, and it was not what you were hoping. You you got turned off, and you just kind of turned away, and you didn't go back. Maybe you gave up on the idea that God could help you, that God is what you're looking for. You know, it's interesting when Christians talk about people who have been uh, turned away from church, maybe from God, uh, they, they typically say that what they need, those people need, is apologetics. Apologetics 
means evidence. It's a, a defense of the Christian faith and the reasons Christians believe what they believe. Honestly, and I hope this doesn't sound prideful, but apologetics is easy because there is so much evidence. Most people don't realize that, that they think Christians just have blind faith. No, there is so much evidence. I became a Christian from a completely non-Christian background by trying to disprove the Bible, but running into all the evidence for it. Now, whether a person's willing to look at and listen to the evidence, that, that's, that's an entirely different thing. But if you are willing, then you can prove it's all true. But I'm not sure if that's what people who have turned away from church and from God really need. Most think the issue is that people have turned away, uh, believe that Christianity isn't credible. But I think the issue is that they haven't found Christianity to be beautiful. And if that's true, then what people need is not so much apologetics as an apology. Not so much uh, proof that Christianity is credible as an apology for those who have made it look less than beautiful. And so, I would like to apologize. And honestly, there is a lot to apologize for. Because Jesus, Christianity, is beautiful. But there has been a lot done that makes it look like it's not. And so, I apologize. I apologize for the crusades of the Catholic Church in the 11th through 13th centuries when they went out on supposed holy wars trying to take cities uh, that they believed belong to them. I apologize for the Inquisition, when the Catholic Church, starting in the 12th century, would put people on trial for not having orthodox beliefs and would hand the heretics over to the government to be punished. I apologize for those sent out by uh, the Catholic Church to discover the new world and who ended up killing natives in the Bahamas and Mexico and here in America, and they claim to do it in the name of Christ. I apologize for Christians, uh, mostly in the southern states of America, who were racist and who tried to find ways to use the Bible to justify their support of slavery. I apologize for televangelists who we see on TV selling God like a used car salesman. And for the priests we read about in the news who have used their religious position to commit heinous acts against innocent children and um, pastors against women. I apologize uh, for Christians who are trying to change the world, not through love and relationship, but through politics and power and have made Christianity seem uh, ugly and distasteful. I apologize for churches who have turned the message of Christianity into, you have to follow the rules to be in this religion. Because that is basically the opposite of what Christianity is. Christianity teaches that God loves you just as you are, not as you should be, 
and that he wants to have a relationship with you. I apologize uh, for churches who make Jesus and, and following Jesus seem boring. When really, he is the most dynamic person who ever lived, and following him is an adventure. I apologize that so many Christians have become known for what they're against instead of what they're for. Jesus said the most important thing is to love God and love others, but some today preach hate and they hold up ugly signs, and I am I am so sorry. And, and, and I know all these people say they believe in Jesus and claim that they did it all in Jesus' name, but that's not necessarily true. And Jesus talked about this um, so in, in the Bible, for instance, in Matthew chapter 7, he began uh, by warning us. Matthew 7, 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He's telling us to watch out for people who claim to represent him, but really don't. He continued uh, in verse 16 through 20, he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The, the point is that you determine whether people truly represent Jesus, not by whether they say they represent him, but by the evidence of their lives. And an apple tree might say it's a pear tree, but you can see the apples. And someone might say they're, they're for Jesus, but you can see when they're not. Jesus continues, starting in verse 20, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And could Jesus have made it any clearer than that? There will be people who, when they die, will stand before Jesus, convinced that they lived for him and they did things for him, and Jesus will tell them that what they actually did was evil and he never knew them. And all those people I mentioned, um, they were not following Jesus when they did all that. And I'm, I'm sorry that they said they were and that they gave uh, the wrong impression of what God is like, that they made it seem like God, um, like uh, life with him is less than beautiful. But I'm not done apologizing because the problems go deeper. Because all that I've apologized for is um, historical and, and, and general. But I realize that maybe for you, this has become uh, deeply personal. So, so more apologies are in order. So I, I apologize uh, for the preacher or the, the Sunday school teacher at your church growing up who yelled at you for running through the halls and, and made you feel like you couldn't be yourself 
at church. I apologize if you had Christian parents who used the Bible as a weapon instead of as a source of encouragement and taught you that God was someone to be feared instead of loved. I apologize for your uncle who kept a Bible on the coffee table and a stack of porn under his bed. I apologize for the church that made you think you weren't good enough because maybe you didn't have enough money to give or you couldn't dress a certain way. And I, I apologize if you went to a church or to a church leader for help but no one, somehow no one recognized that you were in need. Or, or maybe you had a Christian who gave you a simplistic, uh, cliched answer for a very complicated and sensitive question. You know, the, the sad thing is that it's such a perversion of what Christianity is truly all about and how Christians are supposed to treat people. The, the Bible teaches uh, that how Christians should live godly lives is love. A godly life, a life of following Jesus is a life of love. Uh, Jesus told his followers in John chapter 13, starting in verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So he's saying what his followers should be known for is love. And the Bible says that Christians should be uh, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And we're told about Christians in uh, the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 10, that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Man, the, the people who have hurt you, they were not living the life of love Jesus called them to, at least in those moments, and, and I am so sorry. But I'm not done apologizing because the problems go even deeper because the problems don't just lie with, with those Christians. Um, it's also me. And, and so I apologize because uh, if, if you got to know me, uh, I can sometimes be uh, insensitive. Uh, I, I've... I can be judgmental. The, the truth is I am not as loving as I should be. I apologize because the Bible tells me to put my neighbor before myself, and I don't even know the names of most of my neighbors. I apologize because Jesus tells me to feed the poor and to care for orphans and widows, and I haven't done a lot of that. Uh, Jesus tells us to visit prisoners, and I have done that once. And I, I really do believe, and my, my faith is genuine, but too often I don't live it out the way I should, and I'm sorry. Maybe you've experienced some of this, and um, you, know, you just decided you don't like church, and you turned away. And if so, man, thank you for being here today. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe you thought like going online and seeing what it's about would be safer. I, I don't know. But, but even even watching church online, maybe it was uncomfortable for you because you've turned away. It's probably not easy. You know, um, what, what makes all of this so colossally sad is what Jesus is really like. People throughout the ages, sometimes including me, 
have given so many the wrong impression. But Jesus really was the most loving, dynamic, passionate, compassionate, funny, caring person you could ever imagine. His life was beautiful. And when people really follow Jesus, they live beautiful lives, and they're known for love, and they do amazing things for hurting people, for people in need, for the marginalized. I mean, honestly, if you look at the history of Christians and churches, yes, there are some embarrassing things that need to be apologized for because they misrepresent Jesus, right? But, but there are also so many things. And just honestly, if you study it, you realize way more things that do represent Jesus accurately, that show the world what Jesus is really like and what following him really does in a person's life. Like, uh, in the first couple centuries, uh, Christianity grew like crazy. I mean, it went from dozens of people to millions of people. And historians tell us that a big part of the reason was plagues. Now, typically, widespread death-bringing epidemics don't add to anyone's attendance numbers. But historians tell us that Christianity grew rapidly in large part because of these two horrific plagues. But when the plagues came, everyone like fled the cities to avoid this, you know, this lethal contagion. Everyone fled except Christians. Instead, history tells us that they stayed and ministered to the sick and dying. A man from that time named Dionysius uh, wrote of how the Christians responded to the plague of A.D. 2050, and he explains that uh, the Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with a disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and caring, curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Man, that, that is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, or take the abolitionist movement that finally put an end uh, to a lot of slavery. So in 1833, uh, slavery was abolished in England. And the people responsible, like do, do the, the research, look at history, the people responsible for showing the British and then the world that slavery was wrong did so because of their faith in God and their belief that all are created in his image and therefore have inherent value. And what happened in England, spurred on by these Christians, profoundly affected American attitudes and eventually led to the end of slavery in our country. You can do the research, you'll see that's true. And, and, and it's not just the abolition of slavery. Um, did, did you know that Christians in the name of Christ started the majority of hospitals in America? And that the church is still today the single largest provider of health care in most of the world's poorest places. And that the church leads the world in offering free health care to the terminally ill. 
Uh, Christians and churches have also led the way in starting programs for the, 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 the poor and marginalized, like free schooling for poor children, the world's largest orphanage systems, debt relief for the poor. Uh, if, you, if you study it, you'll find out Christians have also been pioneers in foster care, in social work, in campaigning for laws to protect children from abuse. If you look at prison reform and labor reform, the experts tell you it was because of Christ followers who led the way because they were trying to follow Jesus. You, you, may, you may know it was Christians who founded the 12-step programs using principles they found in the Bible to provide steps that could help people uh, down a path of healing and towards wholeness. Christians who are motivated by Christ's love initiate programs and developments to help the handicapped, uh, like education for the deaf, the Braille system, were all started as Christian initiatives. Um, we, we see this in education as well. You study this. Uh, movements for world literacy were started and pushed on primarily by Christians. Uh, the idea of educating young children, including the start of the first kindergartens, was the result of people trying to live out their faith in Christ and asking, what does it mean for us to live beautiful lives and make the world a more beautiful place? Uh, churches, check this out, founded 100 of the first 110 universities in America. Like founded them as places for, you know, for, for Christ. You know, that we did this in the name of Jesus. Um, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals was originally a Christian initiative. So many of the world's uh, philanthropic organizations are Christian-based. Uh, organizations like World Vision and Compassion International that provide food and education to children who have no access to it. Organizations like uh, Habitat for Humanity that provide homes for the poor. Uh, like uh, the Salvation Army, YMCA, Red Cross, all started as Christian initiatives by people who were trying to live out the love of Jesus. And it's not just uh, it's not just that Christians you know start inspiring movements and compassionate organizations. It's also true of many individual Christians who live out their faith just on a daily basis in their own you know unknown, unfamous lives in sacrificial and servant-hearted ways. There's a, um, a two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist named Nicholas Kristof. He is a regular columnist for the New York Times. He's not a believer, not a Christian. And he studied all this, like what, who, who lives sacrificial lives? Who out there is doing anything good for other people? And here is what he uh, concluded and wrote in the New York Times. He wrote, Christians, again, he's not a Christian. Christians are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their income to charities, mostly church-related. More important, go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, obstetric fistula, human trafficking, or genocide. And some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians who truly live their faith. Man, what, what so many have done because they're following Jesus in the name of Jesus is beautiful. I think the only thing more beautiful is Jesus himself. 
I mean, you did, you look at his life, just at how he lived. Like, like, like he had power, but he used his power to serve others, not himself. He, he especially served uh, those who couldn't serve themselves. And, and like, he, he's like, he's dying on the cross, and we see him forgive the people who crucified him. Or you look at what he taught. He, he taught people to live a life of love, that, that it's loving God and loving people that really matters. You, you look at who he loved. Like some of the people he loved and included in God's love were people who were sexually immoral and, and, and uh, financial criminals and the spiritually unfaithful. And you know what that means? It means he would love me. It means he would love you. And that, that is beautiful. If, uh, if you've never known he loves you, and I'm so glad uh, that, that you joined us today, and I want to invite you to keep coming back because, man, we just want you to know his love. And I think you'll discover um, that that is the most beautiful thing about you. It, it will end up being the most beautiful thing about your life. If you know Jesus, the true, authentic, beautiful Jesus, um, I hope you remember we represent Jesus. The, the truth is most people will never read the Bible and see who Jesus truly is. Instead, they just look at us. And so we need to live beautiful lives of love like he did and make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. And man, I want to tell you about a really exciting opportunity we have to make us, our church, Verve, more effective in making an impact in people's lives, which is what we're supposed to do. So, so the, the Bible makes it uh, very clear that generosity is one of the best ways to fully experience the life God has for us. If giving generously is a priority in your life, if, if you're a generous person, you know that life is better when you give and you're gonna really lean into this opportunity. If you haven't really tried living or giving generously, maybe you've just you've never given or, or you've just given kind of occasionally, then this opportunity is especially exciting for you. So the big news is our 2022 Generosity Initiative starts today. It is an amazing chance for us to give to some really amazing things. Couple examples. Uh, this year, some of the money we raise is going to fund our Love Vegas days when we serve our city and support our community partners who are serving our city. And uh, here at Verve, we are all about uh, serving families here in Vegas, you know, for our in-person services. And so uh, one project we have is to elevate our Verve kids environments so kids will be even more excited to come and to bring their friends to Verve. Now, we also have some upgrades we need to make to our equipment so we can continue to provide the best possible worship services in person in Vegas and online uh, for us and for the friends who we're going to be inviting to Verve. And then last, uh, our rent here in the building that we use for everything, including filming online, uh, it was increased by $30,000 this year. It's going up another $6,000 next year. Honestly, that's, that's a challenge financially. And, and what I'm praying is that we're all going to come together and bridge the gap in our rent. Honestly, 
uh, all of that won't happen if we're half committed. For, for our church to do what God is calling us to do, we all need to be all in. In fact, uh, we call this initiative All In. And if Verve is your church, man, this is an amazing opportunity for you to be a part of us loving God, loving people, and turning the world upside down. So here's our goal for this year. For All In this year, our goal is that 100% of Ververs would give 100% of what they can give. 100% of Ververs give 100% of what they can give. So 100% of Ververs, meaning we want 100% of all of us to participate in this. You know, like if, if some rich dude said, hey, I can just give you all the money. You don't need to do this. I'd be like, no, man, this is our church. Like we all want to come together. 100% of Ververs. Giving 100% of what they can give. Meaning instead of like giving the minimum, you know, just saying, hey, I can throw in a whatever. Um, now, what if we each prayed and we asked God, how much he wants us to give. Like, how generous can I be? What does all in mean for me? And, and that's going to be different for each of us. Uh, for, for some of us, it will mean $30. Like, that. that is what I can give. For others, it will be $300. I can give $300, and I'm, I'm not going to be homeless the next day. I'm not going to go without food, you know, for a month. Or, and, and for some of us, it will be $3,000. Like, I could give $3,000, and, and that's not going to kill me. So, so ultimately... Our goal is to raise $50,000 between the four projects, and you get to choose which project your giving goes towards. Uh, you can give to All In by going to verb.cc and clicking the All In button, and um, you have till the end of the year, but maybe consider doing that today. Here's some cool news. Um, I've gone in advance to uh, a couple of our Verve groups and a couple of our generous people and our leadership team and and said, hey, what if what if some of us gave in advance to, to get the ball rolling, to, to get some momentum going? And uh, we have already raised right about 20,000 of the 50,000 we need. And so we're already, I'm not good at math, I think that's 40% of the way there. And so, man, we're, we've already got the ball down the field some, and let's do this. Like, let's raise the rest. Let's all be a part of this. 100%. Like, we, to, be, to reach that goal, we need you. And let's each give 100% of what we can give. Let's pray and ask God, how much do you want me to give? Let's all be all in so we can continue to be a great church for people who don't like church. Let's pray for that. And uh, then we got a quick announcement for you and a, uh, a last a song we're going to do together, if you can stay for that. God, thank you. Um, thank you for letting us be a church for people who don't like church. God, there are so many people uh, who have been turned off by church for whatever reason, something that happened in their childhood or things they see online today, whatever it is. And God, they need a place where they can come, whether it's in person in Las Vegas or online around the world, where they can come and find out that Jesus is beautiful, that people who truly follow him live beautiful lives. God, thank you for this church. God, help each of us to live lives that show people Jesus. Help us to do life together in a way that shows people Jesus. God, this All In campaign is just a great chance for us to, to do some things that we need to do to make our church more effective, to, to serve. And so, God, I pray that every person at Verb would be a part of it, 100% of Verbers. And God, would you help us to know how much you want us to give? How generous can we be? 100% of Verbers giving 100% of what they can give. 
God, thanks for being awesome. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.